Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. I'll be joined with my brother Brian here in just a second. We're talking about fertilizer for next year's soybeans on today's show. And that's one of the fun things about harvesting a decent corn crop. You start thinking about how many nutrients that corn crop removed. And if you're in a corn-soybean rotation, that's just one of the many rotations you could be in, of course. If you're in a corn-soybean rotation, you got to look at that and say, okay, what did my corn take out of the ground? What did it leave? What's out there for my soybeans this year? How am I going to fertilize them so I can have a, a really high-yielding and, and profitable crop? And we'll talk about that on today's program. We'll also be taking your calls and questions throughout at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, uh, talking soybean fertility and, you know, we think about fertilizing for next year's soybeans. Here we are dry once again on our farm. And I was just out in a field that we put lime on for this last crop. And there's still some lime that's not broken down, either laying on top of the ground that didn't get tilled in or even some stuff that got tilled in. That's still not broken down. And, you know, I know lime, you're going to expect, hey, it's going to be three years to utilize all that. But it, it kind of brought to mind as we were going to talk about soybean fertility this year or this fall about dry pea and dry K and those types of things. They don't necessarily break down overnight. And if you end up with a dry year like this, uh, getting them down in the soil is beneficial. But even so, you still need some moisture to get those things to be available. Yep, you do. I, I would say this, though. Because we've had drought again, and some areas have had flood, there's tremendous variability in fields. I mean, we're seeing yields up to 300 bushels, and in the same field, down to zero. So I guess that was really the number one thing that I wanted to point out today, is if you're not doing variable rate fertilizer, we'd really encourage you to take a look at it. Fertilizer is expensive. Why put it where you don't need it? But by the same token, you've got to have the right amount where you're going to have really good crops. Otherwise, you're not going to get those good crops. And with soybeans, they do need a tremendous amount of potassium. But to your point, okay, let's say we would have put dry potash out last fall. I mean, would that have broken down by this spring or this summer? No possible chance in our environment. No way, no how. So a lot of times when we put on big rates of potash, we figure it's three years for it to fully break down. And if you're listening to this, you go, what? I don't want to wait three years for all my fertilizer to be available. Well, I'm not saying it is for you, but I am saying when you're in a dry area like ours, where we're frozen for five months out of the year, then we're really dry most of the rest of the time, the stuff just doesn't break down. So that's why if you've got a low fertility field, we'd really encourage you, yeah, use some potash to build it up. But then in addition to that, use some liquid fertilizer to feed the crop right now. So I, 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 it's a little frustrating, though, this year because of all this variability. And if you think, well, I'm only going to soil test my ground once every four years, you can certainly do that. But at least be looking at the crop removal maps. So then you know, okay, where are the areas where I got a big crop and where are the areas where I didn't have much? And that's going to tell you where you're going to have a lot of fertilizer carryover. When you when you think about this, uh, I want to just go back for just a second here as you were talking about 
that you aren't going to get everything available in the first year. And I look at a lot of the fertility programs where it's, well, I'm only going to put fertilizer on every other year. And we just had a guest on the show yesterday who was talking about compost that, hey, you get about half of the fertilizer available the first year. And then the second year, you get half of what's left. The third year, you get half of what's left. And he said the key was to apply compost again the second year. And then all of a sudden, you apply it the third year. And now, really, whatever you're putting out for compost after that third year is what's going to be available for that year because you've got some coming from that application of compost, some coming from the year before his application of compost, some coming from the year before that's application of compost. And that's been kind of the nice thing with manure over the years that uh, it's still releasing some of that nutrition uh, out of the organic forms that, that it's in years later. And we notice the difference of where manure has been applied and compost. That's why. The same thing would be true with dry fertilizer. If you're always putting a little bit of dry fertilizer out, you're still getting that fertilizer to break down from a couple years ago and release a little bit more of that fertility for your crop. And that, that makes it work a lot better. When you're operating on the absolute edge where you just barely have enough fertility, uh, that's not a good place to be in because your application that you just made is not going to be fully available. And I think about just how much soybeans remove. And I look at our farm, like when we're shooting for, let's just say it's an average 240 corn and 75 bushel beans. And you can argue with the numbers, Brian, but just, just to have some numbers to play with, 240 bushel corn takes 84 pounds of P2O5 or phosphate out of the ground and 60 pounds of K2O potassium. 75 bushel beans take 55 pounds of phosphate, 90 pounds of K2O potassium. That's 180 pounds of potash. That's what it removed. Not even what it takes for the stover, just out of your bean crop. And if you're putting a two-year plan out there, that means you're going to need roughly 150 pounds of phosphate and 150 pounds of K2O potassium in that two-year time frame just for removal, not even to produce great, big, healthy, strong stalks. And that is a tough thing, especially like you had mentioned, as we're dry this year, you aren't able to pull 100% of that fertility out of the ground. You're only able to get a fraction of it. So you got to fertilize well along the way in order to avoid having problems. Definitely. But here's the challenge. Roughly half the ground in the United States is rented. So are you really going to build it up and try to have something available three years from now when you don't know you're going to be farming the ground? That's where it gets tough. And that's where we see a lot more guys going to banding, whether it's banding with the planter, strip till, whatever it is. And yeah, you got to be a little bit careful. You don't want to get carried away with salt or anything else. But banding can be a really good way to go. All right. A lot to talk about here with fertility. And we're focusing on soybeans today because... Many farmers view it as the second crop or their less favorite of the two crops that they're growing. And I just want to shine a little bit of a light on soybeans that you can be really successful. They can be a wildly profitable crop for you if you feed them well. So we're going to talk about fertilizer for next year's soybean crop on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. It takes balance to be successful in farming. Because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season 
by visiting Corteva.us. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about fertilizer for next year's soybean crop. Uh, it's an interesting topic. Uh, you think about soybeans, a lot of folks will say, well, I fertilize this on my wheat, or I fertilize this on my corn, or I put this fertility plant out of my cotton or my peanuts. What about your soybeans? I think we're taking soybeans for granted here. So we're going to talk about that uh, just a little bit on the show. And then also we'll be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's start off heading up north a little bit, up to North Dakota State University. We've got Chris Augustine on with us right now. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I, I made a comment earlier, and I, I said soybeans are the less favorite crop for so many guys. They're they're kind of the second crop. They really like raising wheat or they really like raising corn. I don't run into too many guys that say soybeans are their favorite crop. And I think that we aren't feeding them very well. And that may be part of the problem. Well, in North Dakota, we certainly have challenges with uh, short growing seasons, you know, over on the eastern end, iron chlorosis is a huge issue. Um, so, so I mean, if I can raise soybeans, just about anybody should be able to raise soybeans. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you think about that crop, uh, you look at, at North Dakota. And so for any of our listeners, uh, if you happen to be, well, chances are, if you're listening to our show, you could be further south than, than what Chris Augustine is up in North Dakota. And if you're further south, you say, okay, I have a longer growing season, but I'm a little jealous. You do get some long sunlight hours up in North Dakota. Yeah, we, we definitely do. Um, I'm up on the farm right now. Up, uh, we're 30 miles south of Canada and 30 miles from Minnesota helping out with beet season. And, uh, um, yeah, we got long, long days. It's amazing. Uh, you know, sunsets at 11 o'clock around the 4th of July. We got to wait before we turn those fireworks on. 
<laughs> yep, that's true. That's true. Drive-in movies be a little bit different. You got to go at two in the morning or something to, to make that all work. But uh, but it does get cold, and and you do have short season soybeans. And I know where where you guys farm a lot of double zeros are um, getting raised up there. And girls say, man, double group double zero soybeans. You can still get pretty good yields, though. I've really been impressed with what farmers are doing, even even way north in in North Dakota and in southern Canada. Yeah, um, you, you know, uh, neighbors around here, forty uh, bushel soybeans is common. Uh, where a lot of my research has been in that Minot region, um, we've had in the drier years closer to twenty bushel, but some of those nicer years, we we see close to forty or over forty in a lot of instances. Yeah, it's it's really interesting what what you can pull out for yields, and then you bring up a good point that it's not as consistent as say Central Iowa, where uh, you're going to hit probably within five bushel, maybe ten bushel at the worst of of what you're guessing at the start of the year in most cases. In North Dakota, it might not be that way. You might you might be uh, half, you could easily be half a crop, no doubt about it. So how do you fertilize for soybeans? How how do you guess? Do you go off long term averages or or what do you do? Because Chris, if you're farming with somebody like my brother, he's always optimistic, and it's all this is going to be our best yielding year ever. So he he's always thinking he's going to have those massive yields. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to be optimistic if you want to farm, but. Start starting. You got to do that soil test. You got to know what's out there: your nitrogen, your phosphorus, your potassium. Um, recent uh, research from NDSU suggests that um, if if you have a lower phosphorus soil test, you, you know less than seven or so parts per million, definitely want to put some phosphorus out on those soils. Um, greater than that, we we don't see much of a yield response out here. And uh, you look at research from a couple of our our neighboring states or, or up in Canada and. Um, that kind of agrees with the same thing. It's been found that um, soybeans are pretty, uh, pretty good at, at at being a nutrient scavenger when it comes to phosphorus. But um, you, you still need to do that soil test. You know, if you got a low phosphorus test, definitely want to put it down. Um, some of the research out there would show that usually we see better responses with a broadcast versus a banding application. And so out here in conventional till uh, country, that that's pretty easy to do. Uh, over in the no-till area, um, where I've done a lot of my research, um, not not so much. And, and at the end of the day, just make sure you put it down. Um, if you could broadcast, yeah, it'd probably go a little better. But, um, you know, you incorporate it out there in no-till country, you, you know, you, you're going to go back a little bit on some of those soil benefits you probably built up over time. You know, one other thing that comes up, I got several questions for you, more, I would say, North Dakota specific, but these same issues we see in other parts of the country too. Iron deficiency chlorosis. Uh, I talk to growers every year that say, you know, I've got these problem areas out in my field. They turn yellow. Um, sometimes the beans die off. Sometimes the beans uh, recover and come back, and then they, they mature a little bit later. What do you say about iron deficiency chlorosis? What are some of the causes that you're seeing up in North Dakota? Sure. So a lot of it's brought about that we have a lot of limestone in our soil um, or carbonates. And so that has a tendency to raise soil pH. And so uh, if you look at the soil as a bulk across the country, we have lots of iron. It's just a good chunk of it isn't plant available. And so under those higher pH conditions, um, plants really have to work hard to get up to take up that iron. So they'll uh, secrete acids um, to, to change that form of the 
the ferric iron, that's the rusty looking stuff to the ferrous. That's kind of the, the darker black stuff, the, the light gray stuff. And that's the, the iron that can get into the plant much more readily. Um, and, and so that's kind of what's going on out, out here. We got a lot of, uh, a lot of carbonates that raise the pH and, um, we, we do see, uh, uh, some improvements with, uh, higher planting densities, you know, strength in numbers, I think is what's going on there. Uh, cultivar selection is definitely the, the number one management tool when it comes to that issue. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely growers are fussy about that. Uh, okay, another problem that we see, uh, speaking about nutrients and, and uh, having a little bit of things is good, but having too much is bad. What about saline and sodic soils? I know there's been a lot of talk down here in South Dakota as well about dealing with some of these problem areas and fields. What are you seeing up there? I know you work a lot on soil health, and certainly it's not a healthy condition when you've got too much salt or too much sodium out in those areas. Yeah, so I don't know if it's salts that hate soybeans or soybeans hate salt. <laughs> yep. um, it, it, you know, I, I, I think some strategies worth looking at are um, can you square off the field with some small grains in those salty areas or some canola uh, up in up in this region versus trying to plant the soybeans in there uh, just because they, they, they don't like it worth a darn when that... Um, that that soil test, uh, electrical conductance or salinity test comes back greater than uh, two millimoles, you're probably definitely taking a hit on on the soybeans. And then um, the the other thing that happens too with these saline areas, when you if you soil test them separately from other areas of the field, there's probably a lot of nutrients there. Um, years and years of farming in those areas, um, you, you know. You haven't removed the nutrients, but in a lot of instances, maybe you kept putting the fertilizer down. So there's definitely uh, some areas that would be worth, uh, you know, parting out in your field and uh, doing some additional soil tests or separate soil tests anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Target those areas that are problems. Also, we always advise guys, target the areas that are really good and see well, what's what's different there because <laughs> maybe it's something you can replicate other places. That's, that's always a good thing too. Uh, okay, one last thing. Uh, North Dakota, it seems like there's always an area of the state that's in a drought. You just don't know where it's going to be. I mean, I would guess it's going to be in the West, but it isn't always in the West. What do you do coming out of that? You talk about soil health a lot. Uh, are there things farmers could do if they've been in a, a tough situation, either drought or, or flooding, to try to get everything started again in the soil? Sure. Um, with the whole drought issue, um, like last year, we had a lot of soil tests that were re- reported back as abnormally high just because we were droughty the year before. And, you know, um, like, like you said, with your brother, want to be optimistic. So uh, putting a bunch of stuff down, um, you, you know, you didn't see the return on that. And, and, and what I suggest is still look at that soil test. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a lot of nitrate tests that went over like 100 uh, pounds per acre. And, and what happened when we looked at those fields, a majority of those were our, um, our soybeans, our field peas, something we'd expect some sort of nitrogen credit the, the preceding year. And, and they just got a whole bunch of rain in late August. And, and, and so you got some heat for that soil microbial community to you know, do their thing and mineralize that organic matter. But with the heat and the moisture, they, they were going uh, crazy. Yeah, that's hey, that's a good point. You know, when you get conditions improving late season, that does definitely change things. And and I agree with you. We definitely encourage soil testing. Hey, Chris, we got to run. Thank you so much for being on today. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Compromise is nice. 
if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitec fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitec fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about fertilizer for next year's soybeans. And in our part of the world, there's a lot of fertilizer that goes on in the fall ahead of next year's crop. Uh, a lot of it ends up being dry fertilizer on heavy soils that we know are going to be frozen for about six months. And this is the shot to get them out there, get them locked into that soil, and hopefully start getting a little bit of moisture to try to break down 
the the dry pellets of PNK. Uh, that's that's why we're talking about it now. In some areas of the country, it's a little bit different. That ground isn't going to be frozen for six months, and uh, they might get just a little bit more rainfall. And we got uh, a great guest on next, Trent Irby, down at Mississippi State, who happens to be in one of those areas where they might get a little more rain. They might have a little warmer conditions than up here in the northern part of the U.S. Trent, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, glad to glad to be with you, man. Thanks for the invite. You bet. Now we're talking soybean fertility. I'm I'm just going to go out on a limb here and guess in Mississippi, a lot of it probably gets done in the spring. What what's the real story? So what we typically do is we'll break it up. Basically, uh, our seeds and soil texture will kind of dictate that. We do a fair amount of fall applied uh, fertilizer on, on some of our heavier soils, but. Uh, when we get to, to some of these lower CEC soils, we, we can't afford to do that because of the rain uh, and, and the leaching potential and things there. So you know, that's that's definitely going to be a more spring-applied situation, or right at planting even in some cases. Sure, sure. All right, so talk to us about some of those heavier soils then. What what do guys like to do in the fall, and, and how do they like to put it out there? And in the north, you know, we've got everything and and uh, – and everything in between too. We've got no-till. We've got guys that are doing conventional till. We've got strip-till operations. And I, I don't know if there's even a way that fertilizer goes on that we don't try up here. We try about everything. How about in Mississippi? For us, most of ours is is going to be a fall tillage uh, kind of scenario. So we're we're neck deep in harvest right now, and and a lot of our harvest machinery is being followed up with subsoilers and. Uh, you know, I may have mentioned to you in the past in conversations, furrow irrigation is a, a big component of, of our management scheme. So everything gets put back on the raised beds. So in, in those situations, you know, the fertilizer will be applied in, in that kind of process there following harvest in the fall time. Sure, sure. What are yields looking like? You mentioned being right in the middle of harvest here. Are, are you getting good crops this year? Well, it, it's really all over the board, like I'm sure it is uh, for, for you guys. It's it's uh, we began harvest with a catastrophic rain. We had we had 12 inches of rain in about five days in some places, and we had a lot of seed damage as a result of it. But we have great weather right now. Uh, the the humidity is lower. Our, our moisture's come down. So, you know what we're into right now is, is is pretty good. But but we we had some early stuff that didn't turn out where where we had hoped it would be. Yeah, you mentioned that humidity piece, and that's something that, that we certainly notice here, too, that our humidity drops off when we get to the fall, and, and that certainly helps for getting crops to dry down. In fact, uh, just talking to uh, to one of our neighbors today, and he said, man, it's drying out too fast. We can't get out there. Some of these beans are getting a little dry on us. But uh, we, well, with- we, we don't really experience that that often down here, but we are right now. I mean, we, we've got 7 8 9% moisture in some of the stuff we're cutting right now, and that's yeah, that's really low for us. We usually don't have the humidity fall quite this early. Yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned the the heavy rainfall that you had there in less than a week's time, getting twelve inches of rain. Um, when when you think about being out in the fields and getting that fertility work done, I know for for the guys here where we farm, that's a big deal. If we get wet, all of a sudden a lot of those jobs end up getting pushed off till spring. Do they just get pushed down the road a little bit, and you say, you know what, in a few weeks we'll dry back out and we'll have another shot at this thing? Well, on our heavier soil, once it starts getting wet in the wintertime, it, it really is about over with until springtime. It'll stay so wet that we won't be able to get the machines in there to do anything until until springtime. So you know, it, it is a race against time 
everybody's trying to take advantage of the fair weather that we have currently and, and try to get these things done. You bet. You bet. I love great fall weather. There's no doubt about it. We're out pulling soil samples on our farm right now. Uh, what What do you recommend on, on soil samples, on soybeans? Do you, do you like soil samples? Do you like plant tissue samples? How, how do you like to diagnose where you're at with nutrients? I like soil samples, uh, you know, and, I, and I'll just kind of, I guess, sum it up with a lessons learned from this year, you know, going into 2022's crop with high input prices and things of that nature. Uh, you know, I, I know some folks weren't able to fertilize necessarily what they needed to based on the so- sample, and here we are at harvest. I think we're able to see some lessons learned from that. Uh, I've had several conversations where guys, you know, they fertilized like they, like the sample called for, and they're glad they did, you know, and, and in other cases where, where we cut back a little bit from, from what was recommended and feel like our yields were off as a result of it. You know, we notice a few different things on our farm. I know one of the things we were low in potassium and on our fields with higher potassium levels, we've got bigger soybeans. I, I don't know if we necessarily have a more pods or, or more beans in general, but they're bigger and it's making a huge difference in yield. I mean, easily 10 bushels difference. Uh, do, you, do you notice a huge difference in seed size based on fertility or, or on the number of beans per pod or any other factor like that? We definitely see it reflected in the yield, yeah, and, and, and I think that would be a result of the seed size as well. Uh, of course, we, we generally get such high heat and, and dry conditions right when we're filling the pod that sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between the, the nutrient, you know, lost there or is it, or is it moisture stress that, that caused the seed size to be reduced. But whenever we do, the, the potash is a big deal for us too, and, and whenever, whenever we see the potassium, given where it's needed and, and how it's needed, it, it, it pays for itself. All right. Two big factors that growers have been talking about this summer. One of them has been planting date and the other is just the maturity or relative maturity group of the, the soybean planted. And we've, we've heard so many guys over the last couple of years talk about earlier planting dates have paid. Uh, have you noticed that difference down in Mississippi? Have guys been playing with that planting date a little bit? And, and if so, just wonder what the results have been. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would I would say of all the management factors that you can control, you know, planting date is arguably number one. You know, that and variety selection I think are equal to to the level of importance. We we definitely see a distinguished difference in yield from for us. It's April. Like if we can if we can plant with the, the typical weather patterns that we get uh, when when the month of April comes in, you know, we can start to kind of get out there and get things planted and. Uh, if we plant April 20th versus May the 10th, it's a, a big difference in yield. You know, we see the same thing up here, too. We're trying to catch more of those long sunlight days when we get into the, the reproductive phase that, man, if we can get to, to reproduction just a little bit sooner with our indeterminate beans up here, that makes a big difference. I would assume you end up with a lot of determinate beans down in Mississippi. How is that different for you? Well, we, we've actually shifted. Uh, we, we, we grow more indeterminates now in, you know, a mid to late four, group four category than, than we traditionally uh, have down here. And I think that definitely contributes to, to some of the success we've seen with improving our yields over, over the last decade or, or 15 years even. 
Interesting. Yeah, I know. I know growers to the north of you up in Tennessee and Kentucky. Some of those guys have gotten down into the even the twos and the threes, just trying to play with some things to see what they can do to manage. And uh, I, I don't know. Growers in the north always say, "Oh man, those guys in the south can plant so much fuller season stuff," but that doesn't necessarily make beans. I, I love that idea that you're backing up to to just manage it a little bit different and and try to seek more yield. Yeah, I mean, if we can if we can plant an earlier variety earlier in the planting date, it, it offers a lot of benefits for moisture management and, and also insects. You know, insects are a big deal for us late in the fall, and if we can get the right planting date and the right maturity combination in there, there are years where, you know, we can we can uh, tether back on our insect management, and it might not even be a concern. Where on later planted acres, it can be uh, very expensive to manage. Yeah, that is that is very interesting and great to hear. Uh, we're talking with Trent Derby down at Mississippi State University. Always great stuff, Trent. Really appreciate having you on again. Good luck to everybody down in Mississippi uh, as you head through harvest. I know you get a lot of different yield trials and studies you're working on, too, so look looking forward to seeing what some of those results are later this winter. Okay, thank you. You bet. Thanks, Trent. We're talking about soybeans on our show today, talking about fertility programs for soybeans, and also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, you can always email us radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com howler. Did you know 20% of stored corn is often overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for less with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG. Specially priced at $1,800 per unit while supplies last. AgPHD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. 
That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Talking soybeans on today's Ag PhD radio program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You got a couple of soil samples that came in, radio at agphd.com, looking for a little advice or maybe a second opinion on what are some of those fertility things that can be done to help crops. And uh, we're focusing today, too, on the, the fertilizer for next year's soybeans. What are some strategies you can use to make next year's crop fantastic and what are some of the lessons we're already learning from this year's crop and the challenges that we had in 2022. We've got Jeremy Ross with us right now, soybean specialist down at University of Arkansas. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Hey, Darren. I appreciate the opportunity to to talk to you all today. You know, I I love talking about soybeans in Arkansas because you've been pretty famous having some hundred bushel guys down there (laughs) and just crushing some big yields. So everybody always wants to know, man, hundred bushel beans, that's pretty cool, but it does take a lot of plant food to make that kind of thing happen. So how, how are guys in Arkansas being so successful on soybeans? Well, you know, I think you mentioned earlier in the program that, you know, soybeans are kind of, well, I think in the, in the in the past, they've kind of been looked at as a stepchild crop. But, you know, I think here in the last 10 years, some of our growers have really pushed soybeans, you know, to the forefront and really pushing yields, uh, pushing, you know, fertility and row spacing and varieties and just everything they can think of to try to really push those yields in soybeans. But I think nutrition is probably the biggest thing a lot of our growers have been doing. Yeah, you mentioned several different factors there, and I think it, it brings to mind uh, one of the things that, that my dad kind of identified too, that there are some things he was doing the same way my grandpa had done them. And, and he just kind of got into that rut of, well, this is just how we do it. And he started questioning a lot of things like, man, why am I doing it this way? And of course, Brand and I question everything. Well, well, maybe we can do a different row spacing or a different planting population or a different planting timing even. Uh, so uh, you're right. I think it's great when farmers put their heads together and uh, work with a lot of experts on these things and try and figure this out. So you mentioned the fertility, and I know you've seen yields well above 100 bushels, and we've talked to some of those growers on the show too, and many of them say, you know what, here's the challenge. We've got light soils, so we can't put it all out there up front, and, and that's a challenge, isn't it? When you got light soils, you got to feed that crop all year long. Oh, it is. And, you know, you know, some of the fields where we're, you know, doing, you know, a lot of the hundred bushels, the high bushels, you know, are 
really well-drained soil, so you just really can't put everything out in one shot or, you know, it's going to get leached down and, and out of the root zone or wash out of the field, you know, early in the season before we have any um, vegetation on the, the soil surface. So, you know, fertility has really been, you know, important to a lot of our guys and, and you know, looking at multiple applications, uh, actually looking at maybe some foliar feeds along the way just to do some supplemental stuff. But I've worked with several of them, you know, because our normal production recommendations on fertility is kind of in that 55 to 60 bushels. And, you know, and that's on average, you know, what an average producer can, you know, achieve. But, you know, when you're almost doubling that, those fertility recommendations are not going to get you anywhere close to 100. So I've had to kind of help some of these other guys kind of look at calculations and make sure we get enough fertility out there to really be pulling off these 100-plus bushels that we're seeing. You know, it's interesting. I know we had uh, we had David Hewlett at our field day for, boy, a number of years now, and he's he's always been so generous uh, with his time trying to, to help other guys and give them some clues as to what he's doing. And we looked at just total pounds of fertility that he's putting on 600 bushel corn and comparing to a lot of guys he was talking to raising 200 bushel corn, and it was about three times as much. It was about, you know, the same pounds of nutrient per bushel, and I would imagine 100 bushel soybeans, yeah, it's of raising 50 bushel beans, it's probably twice as much fertility. If it was only that easy, that all you had to do is double fertilizer rates, we'd all do it, right? <laughs> but uh, you That's mentioned right. you yeah. mentioned spoon feeding and multiple apps and even foliar feeding. I, I know a lot of these guys have really made a science out of this, trying to figure out exactly where they need to be and how much they can put out in each application. Um, you know, when you look at things like potassium, that that even in light soils, it doesn't move down through the profile that well. How do you do it? Is it just being consistent year in and year out? So, so you get a, a percentage of each year's K application moving down, or or do you see something different in Arkansas? No, I think you know we are you know phosphorus. You know we we can build it in the soil with some of the the soil textures we have in the state, but you know potassium is really hard to to really just build because typically we're we're wet in the in the winter or you know majority of our rice acreage is flooded for rice or, or for ducks throughout the season or for the hunting season and so it's really hard to kind of build some of these nutrients especially the ones that you know are pretty mobile in the soil and so you know pulling good soil samples knowing what you have available you know looking at your rotational schemes and what's been applied you know previously but you know some of our guys are looking at um uh, cover crops uh, some of these cover crops are pulling up nutrients that are you know deeper in the soil profile than really soybean roots go and so i think we're seeing several different again you know aspects and production practices and you know a lot of these guys are just thinking outside the box you know what can we do to really you know add additional nutrients uh, spread out our nutrients uh, you know throughout the season you know when the soybean plants are needing them at certain times and you know, really monitoring, you know, a lot of them are using uh, tissue samples just to kind of see how everything is progressing throughout the season. Uh, but, you know, they're, you know, kind of just spreading out their fertility instead of just putting it out, you know, either in the fall or in the spring in one application, they're looking at multiple applications. How about this? Here's another thing that, that I've heard quite a bit of poultry litter. Do you think that's yep. one of the keys? Is there something else in there besides NP and K that, that is really helping these yields out too? 
you know, it's interesting you, you mentioned that because, you know, I know in the, the Midwest, you know, it's mainly, you know, uh, you know manures from, you know, pol- or from um, hogs or, you know, cattle. But, you know, we've got a pretty robust poultry industry here in the state. And so there's there's quite a bit of poultry litter that, that gets spread out on a lot of our fields. Um, some of our fertility uh, researchers have done, you know, quite a bit of work on poultry litter. And we know that, you know, if you do a, a pound per pound basis on, you know, P and K, we actually see a benefit or, or higher yields with poultry litter, you know, even when our numbers are the same, you know, same numbers of pounds of potassium and phosphorus and nitrogen. But there is something, you know, in addition in those uh, poultry litter applications. And we really haven't put our finger on exactly if it's a nutrient or if it's, you know, you know, giving us a little bit of organic matter because, you know, most of our soils in the state, if you've got, you know, 1% organic matter, you're doing really, really good. Uh, but, you know, a lot of poultry litter does get out. Uh, you know, sometimes it gets a little smelly, you know, in certain times of the year. You really don't want to have your windows open, you know, if it's a cool day. Uh, yep. But, you know, we do see some benefits with poultry litter. We just really can't can't really put our finger exactly on uh, exactly what's in the poultry litter, but you know, I kind of probably put it more towards some of those micronutrients that we may be a little bit short on uh, that we're gaining in that poultry litter uh, versus you know the the macros, you know the pat the phosphorus, potassium, and nitrogen. Yeah, I kind of like the controlled released aspect too. That not all of it's available right at once. It kind of comes available over time because I think about once we get to the reproductive stages of growth there's such a high demand for nutrients and and in my mind some of that litter is finally starting to come available for the crop and and release some of those nutrients just at the perfect time i'm not sure exactly what it all is either but i know this there are some guys in arkansas that really know how to raise great crops including soybeans and one of the guys helping them do it is jeremy ross down at university of arkansas jeremy thank you so much really appreciate having you on today good luck with harvest down in arkansas hopefully everybody's doing well Appreciate it, Darren. Thanks. You bet. Talking about soybean fertility here and, of course, taking your agronomic questions. Uh, Phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we've got a number of questions that have come into the radio mailbag box here, radio at agphd.com. We'll dive into the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. 
Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Introducing our most advanced technology from Hypro, the 9915 series diaphragm pumps. Upgraded with corrosion-resistant materials and a multi-piston design to work longer and harder in any condition. Hypro, right on technology, right on target. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Hey everybody, come on in. Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It is the Ag PhD Mailbag time. We're taking your calls and questions and emails throughout the rest of the show. It's radio at agphd.com with your emails, or you can call us at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, I'm going to fire a bunch at you here. I got got some some uh, varying topics, but let's start with herbicides in non-GMO corn. So this one comes in from Lee. He said, guys, uh, we've got a 50-acre plot of non-GMO corn. Uh, it was soybeans this year. We're going to have six different species of cover crop this fall, and we're going to roll and crimp the cover and then plant the corn into the cover crop in the same operation. Just wondering what you would do for herbicide treatments. Anytime we're going conventional corn, I'm going to go full rate group 15. So that's Harness, Surpass, Outlook, Dual, Zidual, one of those kind of products. And then I'm going to follow post-emerge either status or an HPPD like Callisto or Laudis, for example. And then you could throw a little atrazine with that post-emerge product too. Now, it depends on what you have for weeds and how bad things are. Because, I mean, we could vary that post-emerge program. So what I usually tell people to do is, just hit it hard with your pre and then come back and scout later and we'll see based on the weed spectrum what we need to do after that. Now, if you want to bump things up a little bit, let's say you, you have a weed disaster with broadleaves. Sharpen is really good. Uh, you've also got Python, Stinger, a bunch of these things that are in premixes. So, for example, Verdict 
has Sharpen in it. Um, when you look at Triple Flex and SureStart, they have Stinger and Python in there. And those products are okay, and they're going to do fine on, on broadleaf weeds. But the problem is you don't get a full rate of the group 15. So if you're going to use one of those things, spike it with a little more group 15 so you do get up to the full rate. All right. And then, yes, if you get any cover crop that is alive in the spring, Roundup is a pretty useful burn-down tool that could go out at the same time you put those pre's out there. Hey, thanks, Lee. Really appreciate the question. Good luck to you as well. Uh, get this one about your favorite topic, Brian, moldboard plows. Uh, this one comes in from Jay who says, what are your thoughts on if we put lime out in the field, can we moldboard plow after putting the lime on? Could we incorporate the lime and do the deep tillage all in one pass? Sure. Yeah, you absolutely can. I, I mean, if you want to let the lime slowly work its way through the soil, it'll do that too. It just takes a few years usually. So it all depends on how you want to handle it. But yeah, definitely. We've done that before on our farm and a lot of people have. I think you need to look at where you're going to make that pH adjustment. And, and if you're plowing, say, at 12 inches deep, most of that lime is going to be in the top six inches, which is what most folks want to adjust for pH. So I think it's just fine. Uh, if you look at your pH in that deeper level, we like to pull a few samples, maybe even just a couple per field to see what does it look like down six to 12 inches, or even what does it look down like 12 to 24 inches. It's kind of interesting just to see what that parent material is to see what you're dealing with. Sometimes that pH is really high down deep, so you don't want uh, to make that lime in the, the deeper profile. But uh, depending on how deep you're going, as long as you're not tilling any deeper than 12 with the moldboard plow, uh, most of that lime is going to stay half the depth of your tillage. Okay. Yeah, but the flip side, Darren, is sometimes we see that the top few inches are low in pH. The next few are fine or even slightly high. If you mix those together, you're going to be okay. So I'm not saying that's a normal practice, but that that is something that could potentially be done, and then you wouldn't even have to use the line. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great point. All right, well, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, Jay. Uh, this one comes in from Joey. He said, guys, here in Indiana, we have a new law restricting all forms of dicamba after June 20th, including status. And we've relied on status to clean up our cornfields with water, hemp, and giant ragweed. We've had great results, but a lot of that, is usually sprayed in late June, late June to early July. So we're currently using a generic Lexar product that's worked okay. Uh, I was wondering if you'd recommend something like two ounces of Sharpen with our pre-emerge mix to add additional broadleaf control. That would give me four modes of action to fight the weeds I'm after, or if you'd do something a little different post-emerge. Well, if the program's been working fine, then just spray the status a little bit earlier. I mean, if you're talking after June 20th, generally speaking, by June 20th, our corn is waist high. So I don't know in Indiana how big your corn is, but I, I would certainly guess it's got to be getting big. And this is one of the things that Darren and I have talked about a lot. With Diflex and Status, they have safeners in there. So the tendency is to think, oh, we're okay. We can spray dicamba on big corn. We do not encourage you to do that. Number one, we're really worried about volatility and drift. Two, you have issues like you said. I mean, now there's a new restriction in Indiana. You can't go past June 20th. But, I mean, the other big thing here is we don't like the weed control out of dicamba in a lot of these products when the weeds get bigger and, and you start spraying late. But I, I guess I'd also look at what's going to happen to the corn. Even with the safener, is it perfectly safe? I don't think so. 
I, I just, I'm not comfortable spraying big corn. So I'd say you could stay with your normal program, just spray the status a little bit earlier. And worst case scenario, if you do have to come back, there's always the HPPDs. So, and those are cheap. All right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. Yeah, there's a lot of different choices out there. And that is kind of interesting about the, the dicamba law in Indiana. I guess I didn't know much about that. And, uh, you know, we think about the dicamba applications going on late in non-crop and in corn uh, could certainly be contributing to, to what we're seeing with leaf cupping in some areas. All right, I uh, got this one in from SW, who said, guys, I uh, wanted to ask you a question about zinc. So if zinc and phosphorus can react together, or zinc can react with the DAP that I want to put out there, uh, how can we do phosphorus and zinc applications at, to the soil at the same time? Is there going to be some tie-up? Are there some things that we need to know? No. Nope. No, there's really nothing you need to know. Just if you're short on zinc, put zinc out. If you're short on phosphorus, put phosphorus out. I'm not worried about any tie-up. The reason why we talk about this phosphorus to zinc ratio is when you have phosphorus really high compared to your zinc level or vice versa, then you just we see yield loss. So I don't know exactly why that is, if the zinc inhibits the phosphorus or phosphorus inhibits the zinc or what ends up happening. All I know is, I, I see yields go down. When we've tracked this, looking at yields versus all these different soil test grid points, it's very plain to see that if you've got your phosphorus to zinc ratio out of whack in your soil, then you do not maximize yield. But yeah, don't worry about putting them down together or anything like that. That's no big thing. What is a bigger deal, though, is your phosphorus level and your zinc level probably aren't going to correlate as you go through the field. So what we've had to do like in our floater, for example, we've got three compartments and we will vary the rate on the phosphorus. We will vary the rate on the zinc. So that way we're getting the ratios right in each of our grids. All right. Thanks for the question. I really appreciate that. I got this one from JT. He said, guys, I'm in West Central South Dakota and I planted a field of intermediate Western wheatgrass last winter. It came up great, except so did the Canada thistle. Now I've used I've used the trump card this spring and I did send it set it back with a harsh herbicide application but it looks like unfortunately I just suppressed it. I'm wondering what I can use this fall to get that under control. Now just also another side question here. I've got some Tordon 22K but this is on some low ground that I graze in the winter and I'm just wondering about manure and spreading that to other areas. I'm a little nervous about using Tordon. Also, I'm afraid yeah, that there's a, a nearby creek and uh, yep. and there's some yep. trees not too far away, so I'm nervous about using Tordon. They're looking for some other option. Yep, that's not going to work. So, I, I mean, I'm not sure with wheatgrass is finger labeled. I don't know. That's my first thought. If that's labeled, that's the product I'm running with for thistles. Yeah, Stinger works really well. And the, the thing I like about Stinger, uh, that's a great suggestion, Brian, because it gets down into the root system like a Tordon wood or even like a Roundup wood, yet it's going to be safe on most grasses. So, again, consult the label to make sure it's safe on the kind of grass that you've got out there. But the one caution on Stinger, just make sure uh, you're real careful as you use it. It can be harmful to your eyes. We don't recommend uh, putting that on uh, with a backpack sprayer or a, a four-wheeler or something like that. Use use 
use a sprayer that you got a cab in just to be real safe. Hey, thanks, JT. Good luck to you. And you know, get those thistles sprayed before we get our first hard-killing frost, which we're still in good shape here, but starting to get some cooler nights. So that means the time is limited. Find one of these nice warm days here coming up in the next week or so and get that taken care of. We had a fun time talking about soybean fertility on today's show. Thank you for... Thank you... Ah, boy, I'm having a hard time saying thank you, but I really mean it. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.